Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Oh, I feel like I picked a bad day to quit sniffing glue. Escalating trade wars got me down. Tariffs on $200 billion in Chinese goods. Trump says they respond. Jack Ma says this is something Jack Ma from Alibaba, which is the Amazon.com of China. Ding, 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 ding. You win $100. He says it could take us 10 to 20 years to fix the damages being done. Apple, on the other hand, says, you know, trade's always going to happen. We'll figure this out. So it's escalating. Listen to this crazy, crazy nonsense. SpaceX first paying passenger will be a Japanese billionaire. Yusaku Maizawa. Say what? He's going to blast off from Earth in 2023. He's going to circle the moon and return. So says SpaceX founder and chief executive Elon Musk. Where the space tourists also made brief remarks. Now, okay, how much does it cost to go to the friggin' fragging moon and back, right? And circle it? Well, Mr. Mazawawa, he's an art collector. He once stunned the art world when he paid $110 million for a Jean Basquiat painting of a black skull, which was a record at the U.S. auction. Now, Mr. Mazawa, a 42-year-old former rock drummer, amassed a fortune of $3 billion selling imported records and then trendy clothes through his online fashion conglomerate. Now a part of a company called Zozo Town. Hey, I'm not wearing any clothes from a company called Zozo Town. You know beavers have the most colorful teeth of all the animals? You know why? Because they chew on trees. Wow. Red. I know, I know. Thank you, thank you. Um, so he's going to the moon. Boom, boom, boom. Going to the moon. Or zoom, zoom, zoom. Um... Now, how much would you pay? And when is enough enough? You know, what I would do if I had that kind of money is I would obviously go to the moon and come back, and then I would book speeches on what I saw at the moon, and I would make stuff up. And my fees would be exorbitant, and I'd try to make the money back that way. But not for me, I'll tell you that. Who wants to go to the moon? 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. So we know who's the first civilian going to be who circles the moon. Exactly. Exactly. This is the exact reason I don't want to go to the moon. Doesn't Major Tom die and he misses his family? Or he misses his family and then he dies? It's trade wars everywhere right now. There's a little bit of uncertainty tied towards it. But the U.S. seems to be doing well. We've got low inflation. We've got moderate to low inflation. 
we've got employment that's doing great. And that's kind of all that matters. Yeah, I know it's kind of crazy, but that's all that matters. Um, a lot of people want Microsoft to raise their dividend. They're expected to announce that they're doing exactly just that. Uh, they pull in a ton of cash. So so Microsoft is a dividend play. 10, 15, 20 years ago, Microsoft was a growth play. Two-thirds of Amazon Prime users said that they would use Amazon to do their banking. It's starting to get kind of scary to me, if you know what I'm saying. That sounds aggressive to me. Um, Walmart tried to become a bank at one point in time because of how much business transactions they did, and they just kind of wanted to keep that cost in-house. In and then on the other hand, you saw Visa and MasterCard uh, do a big settlement on fees tied towards swipes, $6 billion-plus settlement. So you kind of see that there's money in them, their swipes, right? Throwing that out there. A lot of people are asking me, what is wrong with FANG stocks? Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Google's got a problem that they want to get back in China and they can't keep their mouth shut about it. So their employees are like, what do you mean you want to get back in China and like potentially give you know information that could compromise their citizen safety to over their government? Google. Facebook has an issue of fake news. And the cost that it's going to take to protect from fake news. Amazon's got an issue of it's just gone so far so fast and has a lofty valuation. And everyone who's owned it has made money except for you. Now it's 7% off its trillion dollar valuation. So maybe you know that's as big of a discount as you're going to get. Its price to sales ratio isn't nuts. Um, so... What's wrong you know, with Netflix? Well, Netflix has got, obviously, a growing amount of content, as you saw from the Emmy Awards. Um, Netflix and Amazon look pretty fresh. They look pretty... They're, they're smelling nice. And, um, you know, the downside is, is that when you smell so nice, people go, hey, what perfume are you wearing? What cologne are you wearing? And then they go out and get it, and then suddenly we're homogenized. So Disney... Do they need Hulu to compete with Netflix now? Disney's got a... And again, I want to use a dirty word. I'm not allowed to say it, otherwise I'm off the air. They got a ton of content, especially after picking up assets that acquired, that they belong to 21st century. But they own a pretty dominant chunk of Hulu. Hulu reported 20 million user subscribers, U.S. subscribers in May, compared with 58 million for Netflix. Um, Netflix also has 77 million international subscribers. Netflix has done well and on the national, international level. So the competition's coming for Netflix. So they're trying to build their, their content library as fast as they can. And I'll be honest with you, it's, it's pretty darn good content. And again, you saw it from the wins that Netflix uh, got. And, you know, next time the House of Cards is getting ready to start up, people are going to be like, hey, what's going to happen in the final season? You know. Uh, will Kevin Spacey be on the show, or is he really off of it forever? Uh, people will get pretty wound up, and you know what they do. Netflix just uses the same story and the same scripts and goes to a different country and sometimes changes the scripts, right? Oh, I saw the funniest comedian, a guy named Burt Kreischer, on Netflix the other night. I laughed out loud. First thing he does is he gets on stage, and he's probably a six foot, 250-pound guy. Is he goes, true story, true story. I've wrestled a bear. <laughs> You're like, okay. I'll go with that. 
I'll go with that. Let's see where this heads. And he talks about how he did a show called, you know, Bert's Stupid, you know, uh, Jobs, where he takes other people's dangerous jobs and he does it for a day. And one of them was something, you know, training a bear. And supposedly a bear could be trained if you put a marshmallow in your mouth. So he's, he's a funny storyteller. And oddly enough, he's been in San Jose show. But Netflix has me. You know, uh, show after show. Same thing with Amazon, not so much, nor Hulu. But competition's coming. It's worthy of note. I'm going to be speaking about competition stocks I invest in at the event seminar Thursday, 6.30 to 8.30, Toll House Hotel. Um, I'll be there early if you want to come and ask stupid questions. I mean, there's no stupid questions. There's just stupid people. Um, 6.30 to 8.30, Toll House Hotel in Los Gatos, California. You can sign up today at Rob Black Show, Rob Black Show, and use the code RADIO25. I'd love to see you there, and I'm going to work on some uh, good ideas as best I can. Uh, lots of love, lots of appreciation. Sign up at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Big seminar coming up, like, Thursday, September 20th, at the Toll House Hotel in Los Gatos. I mean, CFP, Chad Burton, and myself, we're doing a little dancing, telling you about ideas on investments and withdrawal rates and inflation and expectations, and are you wealthy or not? Him and I, well, let's just bring him in right now. You can sign up for the event at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. Use the code RADIO25 to get in for free of your first time goer mr burton you know do you remember yes, the websites sir. am i hot am i hot or not am i hot or not that would be a phrase remember that you type that in okay well um there was a website that you can go to and people would post their photos and um you would swipe if you thought someone was hot or not and you'd rate them one through ten kind of thing um, yeah we should the same facebook thing. started like that right <laughs> something like that but my goal or my thought here is we should start an app that's like, am I wealthy or not? Because no one has a clue. And even you and I, we don't know what the future holds as far as inflation or deflation goes. We don't have a crystal ball. We just go with historical models. Um, I think that's the biggest question people have. Am I, do I have enough or not? Or when, when's enough? Do you get that often? Yeah. Yeah, well, and it's and it's funny because when I do events, retirement events near our Vancouver, Washington office, you know, which is ten minutes from Portland, Oregon. If I use Bay Area-based slides up there, people kind of take offense to it. You know what I mean? Because what is minimum wage, what is a minimum requirement for a portfolio to live in retirement in the Bay Area is different than a portfolio that you can get by with in Vancouver, Washington, where there's no state income taxes, right? Um, So I have to actually use different numbers when I go to different regions of the United States. Um, so it's all relative to your expenses too. You know, are you wealthy? Yeah, but if you spend a ton of money, you might go, you know, go broke by the time you're eighty. All good stuff. Let's talk about some of the content and who wants to go broke by the time you're eighty? Because like Betty White, she's ninety plus, right? She's she's right. pushing a hundred. But I'll, I don't want to talk about Betty White. I was upset by watching that last night. Um, interest rates are up and potential trade wars around the corner. And it's a thought again that the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates probably two more times this year, although there's still some small chatter that they may have to slow down next year. What are your thoughts on what we're seeing out there as far as big institutionals? What are the big money dollar players doing? 
Well, I mean, you start to see these big inflows anytime the rates on the 10-year Treasury hit 3%. You see a big inflow into bonds and REITs and other things like that. Sometimes some of the staples that have consumer staple stocks that have fallen really far um, because a lot of people believe that we're in this kind of range bound with interest rates. Um, and 3%, that's where you got to get up. That's good enough. That's kind of a little better than the, the bank. But at the same time, you're starting to see interest rates creep up on CDs and FDIC-insured online banks like Synchrony, where you can get you know 2.35% on a two-year CD. So why would you have a bond when you just get that? No, no risk. So as rates came up, I saw a couple of institutions um, you know, shorten their bond exposure, a little more floating rate. Um, and also, we've, we've seen continued turmoil in emerging markets, right, where emerging market stocks are down. And we're hearing a lot of talk on some of these emerging market experts saying, look, the bonds are down even farther. That's where a lot of the value is. So I've seen a lot of big institutions add of their bond portfolio move about you know anywhere from 2 to 5% into emerging market bonds, um, which I think is, is a good bet. Anybody that had overweights on international um, stocks are now just like kind of equal weights. Um, so there's not a lot of, hey, this trade war is going to be over really soon. We're fine. Let's let's you know overweight these areas. Nobody's selling because there's a lot of value there, Rob, but but not a lot of overweight going on. So you know, just a little bit of rebalancing, a little bit of risk off the table, and a lot of large institutions are pulling a little bit away from growth and adding a little bit to value because of the big divergence between returns that I talked about in the 6 o'clock hour. Let's listen to your show this morning. You're on from 6 to 7 Tuesdays and Wednesdays and a big replay on Friday. Uh, we integrate you into the uh, other times. But you were talking about value in PEs, and I was like, come on, Chad, just give me a stock name. Do you find that people don't want to do the, people don't want to do the work to find value, but they may want it? But they want kind of like the shortcut. Um, um, ask you, what, what's your what's your favorite stock? Because I get that all the time. Not, yeah, no, because if it's not my favorite stock tomorrow, I'm not going to remember to tell you. Um, so yeah, people are afraid to do the work now. Um, and the crazy thing is, is a lot of the momentum based stocks are actually really good companies and doing a lot of the right things that have done really well over the last twelve to fourteen months. But you have to look at stocks and sectors and how they're trading in terms of price to sales, price to book, PE ratios versus their history. And you go through periods of time where they become expensive. And I think a lot of people are just ignoring value altogether right now. So big event coming up September twentieth, Thursday, six thirty to eight thirty. Um House Hotel. Los Gatos. People can sign up at newfocusfinancial.com and get a copy of your podcast from this morning while they're at it. Let's switch a little gears and go over some retirement withdrawal mistakes. Um, it's get, it gets tricky. You know the old phrase, I didn't know there was math involved. I wanted to sign up for this class if I knew there was math. Same thing with retirement. There's a lot of math involved. Yeah, and it's I see everything all over the board. I mean, um, there, there's different types of investors. We have you know people that come in and retire from maybe they've had maybe two or three jobs over their entire working career, and those tend to be a little bit more conservative investors. But those also tend to be the same type of people that once they retire and they're looking at this limited resource, which is their portfolio, they freeze and they don't spend any money, and they kind of have that that uh, tough time trying to figure out what they're going to enjoy. And then there's people that are tend to be the more aggressive investors, sometimes entrepreneurial, and they'll. They always say, oh, everything's going to work out. And they go through good markets, so they overspend drastically what's in their financial plan. 
And if you do that in the first five years of retirement, you can just basically, you know, kiss a great retirement goodbye. You're going to end up at some point, late seventies or eighties, really having to decline in your in your you know, living standard. You really have to stick with the plan for the first five years. Come up with a really good plan 10 years prior from retirement and monitor and stick with that plan in that first five years. There's going to be some adjusting. It takes some time to figure out what you really are going to spend. I I feel that true. It's very true. Um, But I I think it's also very dynamic. People are very optimistic, and that's the thing that uh, screws with my head a little bit. I prefer to people to be pessimistic or conservative. Um, any other thoughts you want to throw at me about the seminar coming up Thursday night, six thirty to eight thirty, Toll House Hotel, last chance to sign up. New Focus Financial. Yeah, I mean, issues like you know most people average into the portfolios, but averaging out can be a major mistake. I show examples of that. I also show examples of you have people that have large gains in their stocks, or people that have way too much money in pre-tax retirement accounts. How you can mix those two together to create a really, really low tax bracket over time. But there's a lot of people that need to diversify now, Rob, right? They're retiring or going into retirement with huge positions in company stock. And there's reasons why you diversify, such as Medicare surtaxes. You want to diversify and take some of those tax hits well prior to taking Medicare. Otherwise, you can pay a lot of money over time that you don't want to pay to Medicare. Sounds good to me. It's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. Big event coming up 630 to 830 this Thursday at the Toll House Hotel in Los Gatos, California. You can sign up at newfocusfinancial.com. Use the code radio 25. Listen to Chad's show. It is very clinical. It is very strong stuff. Tuesdays and Wednesdays here at 6 a.m. on AM 1220 KDOW. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. Boy, it's all about China tariffs today. China files complain about U.S. tariffs to the World Trade Organization. Uh, A lot of drama. A lot of drama. Um, Some of the effects are not... (sighs) terrible yet, but people worry about the ramifications down the road, and it weighs on stocks. Some days it does, and some days it doesn't. Let's bring in the one, the only, briefing.com, to talk a little bit about what we're seeing in the markets. Patrick O'Hare, I start my day every day with you, and uh, you hit some earnings on some companies, and it doesn't seem to be driving the market right now. So what is driving the market right now? Yeah, well, good morning, Rob, and um, it's a very good... (laughs) It's a very good question, excuse me, uh, which, you know, you would think uh, from the top of the headline standpoint that it would be the tariff actions that are, that are really moving the market. Um, and, you know, we see once again how the stock market has just sort of shaken this, this latest news off. Now, it's tough to get your mind around it knowing that the stock market sold off yesterday as it was discussed that you know, President Trump would be doing exactly what he did after yesterday's close, and then lo and behold, you t- turn around today and you see the stock market rally out of the gate. I think a little of that's been precipitated by some short-covering activity, because I suspect that there were some accounts that put on positions expecting there to be a, a bigger pullback related to this tariff action. It didn't happen early, and so you've seen some short-covering activity help exacerbate the early gains here. But, you know, um, I, I think just Pulling back from a bit, though, I think you still have um, a reason to argue that the stock market continues to believe that 
that these tariffs are not going to have the, the meaningful economic impact that you know some pundits are suggesting they might, and so it can, they can you know you see a continued resilient stance in the stock market that you know that defies expectations, and 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 one of the things that um, is always turned to for why the market can do that is the strength of earnings growth. Um, now, granted, you know FedEx and Oracle. Um, General Mills today um, didn't exactly, you know, overly impressed with their latest earnings and and or sales results. But, you know, from a composite standpoint, I mean, S&P 500 earnings growth is, is still pretty, pretty significant uh, double digits. And, and that's been the main staying factor that has helped keep the market from getting too caught up in, in all of the trade headlines. Speaking of the trade headlines, is it something, I don't know, I heard an analyst today talk, and he said something pretty interesting. He said, you know, uh, Chinese companies can just move their factories to another country if it turns into a China versus U.S. thing and still please international purchasers. There seems to be, the headlines seem to be a little too, I'm not going to say fluffy, but uh, it's empty for a lot of people to understand how tariffs could be such a big problem. Um, and then Tim Cook got on Good Morning America today, and he was like, you know, hey, trade's always going to be there, and this will always figure itself out. And uh, there's a lot of optimism, and there's also not a lot of fear. Where do you, where are you on the fence of tariffs and uh, where it takes us? Yeah, well, you know, I suppose, you know, one of the things that a, a lot of people get caught up in is you hear that, you know, that these tariffs are going on on potentially a up to $505 billion worth of Chinese imports, is it, is it there's this, um, you know, misguided assumption that because there's tariffs on all these products that basically everything's going to ground to a halt, you know. Um, and that's not the case. I mean, you're still going to get trade, right? It may not be as robust as it used to be, but it's not like, you know, our imports from China are going to zero and vice versa. Um, so when you think about what the, you know, the actual economic hit would be directly, uh, it's, it's, you know, really probably not that significant. What comes into play, though, is uh, I guess what it could call, you know, a multiplier effect of, of these tariff actions, and you know, one of the main multiplier effects of, of the tariffs are is the uncertainty it does create. Um, you know, businesses have to worry about supply chain disruptions, and and then you see you know declining levels of business confidence. That has not shown up obviously in in the actual data yet, uh, but it's certainly part of the mindset right now uh, that goes along with the actual tariff actions, and and so um, you know, so that's one of the you know. Concerning factors, really, um, but then I think you know you also have maybe what you might be seeing in the market too is an appreciation for the fact that you have the you know the midterm elections coming up, and uh, there's a, a, a strain of thought right now that China is going to continue to you know. Uh, play hardball on its own accord, too, you know, waiting for those midterm elections to play out, and, and perhaps they help shift the balance of power in Congress, which then, you know, might uh, create some some difficulties in terms of the administration, you know, getting through new tariff actions. So, uh, you know, so there's a lot of forces at play here. Um, there's a lot of, you know, I guess valid arguments for explaining why the tariffs aren't undoing the stock market um, and or why 
way uh, they could ultimately undo the stock market. But, you know, what we have uh, is really, you know, the, the market that's in front of us right now, and it's it's one that continues to trade with a bullish bias. And, uh, and again, that's, you know, linked in part to the strong earnings growth, um, you know, but something else that is going to start coming into greater focus, I think, though, is this this upward drift we've been seeing in long-term interest rates, too. Um, and I think that that's part and parcel due to some budding inflation concerns that are wrapped up in these um, in these tariff actions, and that they might uh, ultimately lead to uh, to higher consumer prices. I used to talk to on a regular basis an economist, and um, he was kind of a nut. He was very conservative. He was tightly wound. Is a better way of saying it. Um, he he had a theory that the Federal Reserve has caused every major recession in the last hundred years by raising interest rates, um, sometimes too fast or sometimes too far. Uh, do you buy into that validity that uh, it's going to be an external action that causes the market to hit its recession and we go from the, the great recession to the great bull market to the next recession? Is it going to be the Fed Reserve that does it? Should, is that where our eyeball should be? I think interest rates are, are where everyone's eyeballs should be, and, and and you know certainly the Federal Reserve plays an important role in in, in the direction that interest rates are are headed. Um, you know whether they're ultimately always the the, the the direct cause of a recession is is certainly open for debate because you know um, uh, when you get external shocks, uh, you know that that do occur and, and they might happen at a time where interest rates are going up. It's easy to then, in hindsight, point the finger at the Fed for having had rates too high at the time something like that happened, and therefore that's the cause of the recession. So, um, but really, you know, at the end of the day, right, uh, interest rates are, are a key component as they relate to equity valuations, borrowing rates, uh, and just general economic activity. And so, um, so that is absolutely a you know a key key thing to watch uh, in you know at any point, but certainly as we push ahead here, uh, you know, ten years, nearly ten years into uh, into a bull market. What are you working on, Mr. O'Hare, right now that you think we should be aware of? Um, because, for instance, one of the things that I'm starting to kind of throw that out there for people is that we should be aware of is that a lot of the world's starting to hit into a bear market. And sometimes these can kind of trickle down to each other and kind of, you know, uh, get kind of a flu thing. You know, if China goes down 20%, then Korean markets go down 10%, and then Argus goes down five. Like, it is kind of interconnected. So I'm trying to push that idea out to people. Take a look at world markets. Don't just look at the U.S., S&P, and Dow. What are you working on right now that you think we should be keenly aware of? Well, you know, I think that, um, you know, something that, um, uh, as it relates to the point you just said, though, Rob, is that, you know, is that the rest of the world, um, uh, that the U.S. can seem to hold up okay, you know, if on a relative basis, the rest of the world isn't doing great. But if the U.S. were to turn down, the, the rest of the world almost never holds up well. So the U.S. economy is, is, is key to the global economy. Um, okay. And right now it's, it's acting very well. Um, so, But one of the things that I'm, I'm going to be looking at is, is 
one of the points I touched on a little bit earlier is that you're starting to see this upward drift in long-term interest rates. Uh, Ten years, about three percent. Thirty-year bond yield, uh, you know, pushing uh, close to three, three point two today. Uh, and I think that that is a reflection of some budding inflation concerns that have not been a factor for this market for a very long time. And you're seeing, you know, companies continue to talk about the difficulties in finding skilled labor and also how they're having to pay higher wages to retain the existing labor that they have. Um, and I think that's going to potentially start to, to manifest itself in higher inflation rates that are going to help. They're going to keep the Fed on this mode, this, this gradual tightening path of raising interest rates. And that will continue to be a headwind for the market as we move ahead uh, when you're looking at valuations that are starting to look a little stretched again. And, uh, and certainly, um, uh, starting to, uh, these rising interest rates are starting to uh, create some difficulties in the housing market. Sounds good. Anything else that we should be worried about as we draw towards the end of 2018? You know, I'm I'm telling people max out your 401k, um, start thinking about 2019 taxes. Uh, tax season comes in 2018, but uh, you get the idea. Anything you're thinking about? We got about 30 seconds. Well, I think it is. You know, as like I said, we're almost near 10 years in this bull market, and uh, we've had a great run, and, and i said this before to you, I think if you're looking at positions you might have that have had some really, really big gains, might be prudent to scale back on some of those positions, but uh, to your point, you know, continue to be invested in the stock market because it's a great wealth creator for, for long-term investors. Especially if you're behind. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare. You can find him at briefing.com. I start my day every day with his uh, page one. And at the end of the week, he does, uh, page one is every day. At the end of the week, he does the big picture. And it's so great. You can check it out at briefing.com. It's a great source of non-biased information on U.S. and international markets. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. The government, as well as its lenders, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, came out with some reports generally advising Americans spend no more than 30% of your monthly income on housing, as little as 28%. Housing spending should be more than that on rent or mortgage payments. You've got to consider you know, the burden that it causes you. And anytime you spend more than 28%, you're considered burdened. Burdened. Did I call you burgered? The United States. Um, I've been influenced. But 32% of Americans are cost-burdened. That ain't good. Don't say ain't, because your mother might faint and your father might fall in a bucket of paint. I like the way you say that. Do you remember that? Uh, my mother's from the South. I spent some time in the South, so. Ain't. Thank you. It's not a word. But it's in my vocabulary still. Short for am not. Um, or something like that. How is it a basic need? And when you look at the list of uh, where Americans can't afford or they're, they're most burdened, it's frightening. Because, yeah, you see, like, Boston, and then you see Virginia Beach and Norfolk, New, Newport Beach, North Carolina. And there, there's just not a lot of jobs. So you're going to be cost-burdened a little bit more. You see New Orleans and 36% of residents are cost-burdened. Low income is even a higher percentage, 44%. But then you start getting deeper in the list, and you're like, uh-oh. San Jose, Sunnyvale, Santa Clara is number 16 on the list. That ain't good. Median household income of $109,000. Now, let's go back to the median household income of what I was telling you. 
Virginia Beach. And then you're looking at $60,000. Make up $55,000, dollars more in the Bay Area, and it's not enough. So that's just San Jose, Sunnyvale, Santa Clara. That's on the list number 16. Stay with me for a second. Stockton, Lodi, California. Average income is 59,000, but 37% of houses are cost-burdened. In the low income, it's 58.4%. Okay, so now we got two on the list in the top 20. Oh, just hit number three on the list, Sacramento, Roseville, and Arden, Arcade area. Go further down the list, San Francisco, Oakland, Hayward on the list. Median household income is $96,000 a year. Cost burden households are 37% for the poor, 70.1%. Go further down the list, Bakersfield, California. There's Hawaii's on the list. Of course Hawaii's going to be on the list. But you, then you go Oxnard, Thousand Oaks, Ventura. Down Ventura Boulevard. She's a freebie. I never really liked Tom Patty. I know that's anti-American. I like the music. I just didn't like his voice. He kind of did this kind of thing, and it didn't work for me. Um, which am I happy he's thing. dead? Which is a very, am very I, good thing. Am I happy he's dead? No. Fresno, California on the list. Uh, then you get New York, New Jersey. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, median household income kind of differs there. Again, remember when I started the peninsula, it was $106,000. Newark, New Jersey, and New York City, 71000 You would have thought, like, hey, isn't New York making more money than us? Number three on the list, San Diego, Carlsbad. Now, that, that area. Then you get Miami, Fort Lauderdale. Um, also on the list, number one, the most unaffordable, the most cost-burdened area of the United States is Los Angeles, Long Beach, Anaheim. Cost-burden households, 46%. Low-income households that are cost-burden, 74%. Median single-family home value, 631000 Median household income, $65,000. Dollars. Um, so this is bad. Lower income Americans are being burdened by housing costs, and it impacts their future. Um, and that bothers me. It bothers me a lot. I think we all deserve some sort of pride in our latter years. Um, and I know, like, for instance, I've met people who are, like, radio producers. I'm like, dude, you produce a radio show. You must make... Glorified minimum wage. Or, it ain't much. What are you going to do for retirement? Well, I live at home right now. So I'm saving a lot of money there. Or I was lucky enough to buy 30, 40 years ago, um, first out of college, when I inherited you know, $20,000 from my grandma. Or, you know, I inherited it from my family. You don't hear a lot of people going, you know, I just got out of college and I'm on my first job. I think I'm going to buy a house in the Bay Area. That doesn't happen very often. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Uh, Money investing and more. Big seminar coming up Thursday night, September 20th. That's right around the corner. Um, Like now. Uh, 630 to 830. Toll House Hotel. Great, easy parking. It's a little difficult to get to in rush hour unless you have a jet pack. I wish I had a jetpack, but you can sign up for the event at Rob Black Show. It's Rob Black Show. And uh, use code Radio25 to get in. And if you bring a jetpack, I'd love to ride on it. Not on it, but with it. Uh, you're not supposed to ride on that jetpack. You're going to catch on fire. So credit cards offer great perks. 
I want people to use their perks with their credit cards. It's like HR departments offer great perks at your company. Learn what perks are because sometimes, like, I've got a friend who's got an airline, and he gets less than a point. He gets about a point for every dollar he spends. And I'm like, you can get a hotel one that gives you eight, eight points. The World of Hyatt card's a great card, for instance. Get a free hotel stay. Rekindle the love. Rekindle the marriage. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. And thank you for playing Tom Petty.